Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. This podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Go to batman-on-film for all the latest, greatest, cooliest, superiest news about Batman that your heart desires. Yeah, that one was not good. That's right. Um, Anyway, uh, today uh, we are continuing our Summer of Superman stories uh, with my... Believe it or not, my favorite Superman story uh, with none other than one of my favorite people in the West Coast, in Washington State, um, <laughs> Chris Clow. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? Doing all right, man. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, it, you know, I think Superman and I think uh, I think about you because you're such a big Superman fan. Um, oh, well, I'm flattered. Thank you. Well, of course. And and this being, uh, you know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit on what story should we do. And you mentioned a couple and throughout Legion. And I said, oh, my gosh, we have to talk about this story. Um, if for no other reason, then it it is my favorite Superman story. And it's one of those I, I can't exactly tell you why it's my favorite other than I it just hit me at the right place, the right time. I was in the right mindset for it, and I just was like, this is pure Superman. This is the greatest Superman movie that's never been made, right? Yeah, um, probably. My, my thoughts, you know, my thoughts. Um, and, uh, and I'm glad that you wanted to talk about this. And I don't want to get too terribly topical, but I'm sure it'll come up, of course, because the the overall theme of the story, I think, is is really the the best and worst way to describe it is heartbreakingly relevant or heartbreakingly timeless, unfortunately. Um, You know, this is the classic story by uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, who had a magnificent run on Superman, um, or I should say action comics, actually, uh, Batman Earth One, Doomsday Clock. I mean, you know, they they did some uh, Avengers books back in the late 90s. You know, know, what, what couldn't these guys do? Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, not really, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so, Chris, you know, so going through this, um, uh, how do you rank this story uh, versus, you know, 85 years of Superman history, which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of stories? And this is one that really stands out to me, especially. Uh, how does it stand out for you? I mean, that's a very loaded question. Uh, I I shudder to try and and position it in a particular spot. I think the thing that just comes to my mind about it the most is that um, it came at a time where, uh, you know, Johns had certainly already established himself, uh, not just as a key writer in the DC universe, but as a really solid Superman writer. You know, he had understandably made his um his most popular work in areas like green lantern and justice society by this point but whenever johns touched superman there was always something about it that felt reverent and it felt truthful Mm -hmm. and johns never 
made fun of Superman like some writers can, even when they write him. Like, not certainly not my favorites, but <laughs> there can be a tendency to uh, to try and turn him into kind of a pastiche. And uh, the thing that I always got from Johns whenever I read a Superman story that he wrote was just an, an utter belief in who he is and what he stands for as the beacon of heroism in the DC universe. Right. And, um, you know, it seems to me that Johns holds the DC universe in very high regard as a creative entity. And I think you can see that throughout the body of his DC comics work. It's probably... It, it became most visible in his work on JSA, but that is a reverence that bled certainly into his Green Lantern and uh, and his Superman and later on, and of course, into his Justice League run. But um, when it comes to this story, this was really one that was published and that first started coming out at a time where action comics had sort of... It sort of lost its prestige in terms of the wider Superman line. The books were far more connected prior to Infinite Crisis. Um, And in that respect, there are certain ways where it just sort of became another Superman book. Like it's it's sort of removed from the, the triangle era. Uh, where they had a lot of the stories that were so, so deeply interwoven, Mm -hmm. but it also just, they tried to do a couple of things to give it a shot in the arm. You know, when you throw Gail Simone on your book, that's certainly going to help. Uh, actually worked with John Byrne as the artist. So seeing John Byrne return to Superman written by Gail Simone, that was pretty cool, but you know, right around infinite crisis, right before infinite crisis, it kind of didn't have much of a reason for being. And then infinite crisis happens. Johns and Kurt Busiek write uh, up, up and away the one year later Superman story that does move between Superman and action comics. But then after that, you know, Johns brought Richard Donner in mm-hmm. and son was probably the story that made people stand up and pay more attention to action comics. Yep. And then I remember it was a few months before action Eight Fifty Eight, the first issue of this story that we're talking about today came out Wizard Magazine featured uh, a spread showing some of Gary Frank's early sketches of Superman. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I remember being so struck by, because uh, I was working as a retailer at the time, um, Frank did not overdo Superman. And I remember reading the interview that accompanied those sketches because he's he's a lean guy, but he's not like a buff guy. Yep. And Frank clearly understood, yeah, well, his strength doesn't come from his muscles. It comes from something else. You mm-hmm. know, not only does he have a, a, a moral strength, but his his physical strength does not come from big muscles. You know, it can't considering the things that he can do. Right. So I thought that that was a really interesting idea. He clearly patterned the likeness after Christopher Reeve. So that's probably going to punch a lot of people in the heart. It certainly did me. Yep. When this story actually started in earnest, it just felt like it had, uh, and I know the word is overused, but it had it had a bit of an epic quality to it. It's like a truly sort of definitive, prototypical kind of Superman story in a regular monthly. Um, and then, you know, of course, by this point, the Legion itself as a team, like they they were around, but they sort of fell out of 
favor, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for longtime readers, when this story was originally solicited, I think the thing that made Legion fans certainly stand up and pay attention was the fact that it looks like this is, you know, not the the reboot or the three boot Legion. This is the pre-crisis Legion that's coming back after Infinite Crisis. Right. So how you weave those things together, it presents an interesting sort of creative conundrum. But also, I mean, as Johns has demonstrated in his previous work, I mean, continuity is something that he sees as a strength to tell stories about character. You know, I think that's most visibly plain in something like Green Lantern Rebirth. He could have just washed the entire slate of other characters that had been developed in the intervening decade or so away. But he didn't do that. He embraced everything to tell a new story. And it looked like that's where this story was going. And through that, you tell something about this sort of human supremacist movement that has subverted the symbol of Superman. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you depower the man himself at the beginning of the story. And you have quite a mountain for a, a, a depowered Superman to try and overcome while the Legion is surrounded on all sides effectively by the Justice League of Earth. So it's a really great setup for a story and then the deeper you go into those sort of timeless themes that you alluded to the stronger it gets as each issue goes along um it it really really well said it's it's you know it's having that um that epic scale but still very character focused you know like these were characters um i really wasn't too terribly aware of i i kind of knew who the legion was they were in an episode of, uh, you know, as, as we'll get into a little bit, like an episode of Smallville, which I think, I think came after this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but then they were also uh, in an episode of the Superman animated series. There was a Superman and the Legion of Superheroes uh, cartoon. I, I'd seen bits and pieces. So I kind of knew who these characters were. And I think like the, the most knowledge I had of them was I had an, an Alex Roth book that was like all these paintings and like his work through the years that I got for Christmas when I was like 16 or 17 from a girlfriend that was way more infatuated with me than I was with her. And I was like, oh, she spent a lot more money on Christmas than on me than I did on her. But I still have the book upstairs. But, um, you know, there's kind of the famous cover of the Legion kind of judging Superboy and saying, yeah. you, know, you know, we reject you, Superboy, or whatever, uh, which doesn't play into this story. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's kind of hinted at, but that cover, that story isn't, you know, talked about, uh, but regardless, um, so these were characters that I had very little knowledge of, you know, so therefore I had very little emotional attachment to them, but I found myself, um, rooting for them, you know, throughout the book and going, oh my God, like I, you know, and, and, and that's great storytelling in general. Just when I'm on the edge of my seat going, I don't want anything bad to happen to these characters because I'm really starting to fall in love with them. And another genius move on Jonathan's part was not using the core three that we, if you knew anything, you knew Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad. Mm-hmm. And and they're only in the book for a little bit, um, right. which is really brilliant storytelling. Again, you know, 
And I think the the best knowledge I had of any of these characters came from um, the Absolute Power version or uh, volume of Superman Batman, where mm-hmm. they were like the evil versions of them. Yeah. Uh, and even then, like I didn't know who they were, and I was like, well, these characters are kind of cool. And then you know they come to play in the in kind of the pseudo sequel to this, the Crisis on Three Earths or. or Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds. Yeah. Three Worlds. That's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was part of the mission statement because, um, you know, pre crisis, the Legion was very important to Superboy's development into the man that he would become. Yeah. And, uh, and clearly, Superman is a beacon for the DC universe in a way that, you know, the morality and the, uh, the legitimate moral authority that he has is something that spans eons you know by the point of the legion coming into play and when john byrne came in and did his effectively his page one rewrite of superman um all that stuff was gone you know not only was superboy gone but the legion in as uh, a player in the development of who superman would become was also gone mm-hmm. and john's is clearly you know i I agree with there was uh, an introduction that Grant Morrison wrote for Absolute Infinite Crisis where he said that Johns is not a Silver Age revivalist. And mm. I agree with that, but he is a fan of the Silver Age. And I think he recognizes that there are components to having the Legion involved in Superman's uh, development as a hero that add weight to his character that he might not have gotten otherwise. So by making the Legion a pivotal component of who Superman becomes, uh, I think that that's a lot of, uh, and we see it explored more more fully in secret origin, of course, but for this story, by, by bringing the Legion back to a place of prominence in terms of uh, of Superman developing into the hero that he does, I think it says a lot to people who may not be familiar with the Legion characters mm-hmm. about what they bring to the table and why Superman himself reveres them as much as he does. You know, they are his friends. He was able to relate to them on a you know the a level of equals. You know, they're all teenagers at that point, and they're all kind of coming of age together but they have like a a relationship to him that he's not totally comfortable with being the inspiration for the society that they live in. But at the same time, he needed someone that he could relate to at that age. That's where John's comes into play by looking at that relationship through more of a modern lens. He recognized that there is value in, and, and, you know, having Jonathan and Martha Kent is going to be really valuable for, for Clark Kent's upbringing, but being able to relate to other young people who have extra normal abilities is something that, you know, he really values as a young man. So Mm -hmm. by bringing that into the fold, you do start to understand a little bit more about who Superman is. But then for those people who pick this story up for the first time without a shred of understanding of who the Legion were or who the Legion are, uh, you have way more of an in to what they represent because of how important they are to Superman himself. 
And I think that that is a is is kind of a brilliant stroke in terms of sort of reorganizing continuity in the wake of Infinite Crisis. If you're going to try to restore some things that were lost to certain characters, which one year later certainly did try to do in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. then uh, you know going to this as sort of a refortified constitution for Superman himself makes a lot of sense. Well, what one year later did really, really well was, uh, you know, you mentioned the Up, Up and Away story. Uh, again, you know, uh, it's probably my number two. If Legion is number one, this is my that's my number two. Um, and it, it, that did a great job of building up the Clark Kent character, making him relevant again. Um, and, and then who Clark Kent is outside of Superman. Whereas this brings in the, the Kal-El side of things, which, you know, is... I think very easy to uh, overlook or make, you know, do too much with. Like, like you know, as much as, you know, and I've talked about it in other episodes, did a whole episode about it. I love Man of Steel. And I think having that wrestling of the Kryptonian origin with his, you know, or his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing is, is great. But I think this is a, far superior way to do it because you're showing that he's you know Clark has always felt like an outsider and here's a chance for him to feel like oh like I can relate to some kids my age because they're going through the same thing I am they have powers and they come from other planets and they came to earth and and sure there's the whole like they're inspired by they're inspired by the legacy of Superman but it's it's great to have that that moment of or that that feeling of they appreciate the Kal-El side of things as opposed to the Clark Kent side of things, which, you know, not necessarily that it gets overlooked, but I think it, it gets used, for lack of a better word, incorrectly. You know what I mean? I, I think that it's fair to say overlooked because that's really what the, from the very first issue, that's what the story kind of tries to emphasize. You get to see you know, what his life is like as a young man and how he's kind of ostracized from society and he can hear people talking behind his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when he's just walking home one day, he meets those three core Legion characters. And unlike anyone else in Smallville, they see him completely for who he really is, mm-hmm. uh, even at that point in his life. And just like they're kind of surprised at the idea of of him wanting to hang out with them and uh you know he's because he's yearning for that kind of companionship that he certainly can't get from even his best friends you know he's not going to be able to relate to pete ross and lana lang the same way that he can relate to saturn girl cosmic boy and lightning lad and by them sort of opening things up and uh letting him in you know he even though they revere him, uh, he sees a way to be kind of part of the cool kids, the coolest kids he's ever seen. Yeah. And it's an interesting relationship. It's sort of like, you know, in Star Trek terms, it's a predestination paradox, mm-hmm. but uh, you want Clark to be able to sort of have fun with people at his level. And that's not really something that, the post-crisis version of Superman had access to. And it's certainly not something that you saw in a movie like Man of Steel, for instance. If anything, that Clark is defined by being separate and the kinds of feelings that 
uh, that manifest over time and uh, the frustration that he tries to, uh, to, to keep bottled up and reserved. But here, instead, we see these kids that give him an opportunity to let loose in a way that he's never given before. And I yep. like the idea of Superman being able to, to, to grow up being able to do that. You know, I don't think it takes anything away from him to uh, i mean i've said it in other places before and I, i'm sure i'll say it a lot superman is a character that is off too often punished for being psychologically well adjusted <laughs> and i think that this is an instance where you can see why he is psychologically well adjusted because these kids became friends with him it it's a it's such a great theme in the story too the the, the kids you 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 know the the reunion aspect of it, right? The, the the kids you knew when you were younger versus the, you know, who they became as adults. And for the most part, they all stayed true to who they were, um, it, it, just like Clark did. But it's also like, you you see that they all, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like kind of that classic joke, you know, like I'm sure like when, you know, you had moved to Seattle and you were closer to Paul Herman, Suddenly you two are hanging out and you're and you're, you know, kids again saying and doing stupid shit and, you know, that you'd yell at your kids for. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of that here. You know, they 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 all grew up, but they all kind of look at each other and just, you know, and, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's Cal. I missed you. You know, we there's so much history with these characters that was really hard for uh you know that that's I don't want to put it like it's 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 hard to get you know to like you know see when you see your friends again as grown ups then it's like oh man like you know remember like kind of the crazy crap we used to get into now like there's even crazier to crap to deal with you know it's like um, for us it's like well well now we have kids now we have jobs and we have responsibilities that we didn't have when we were you know fourteen or fifteen years old but for them now it's like well, you know, we used to be this great organization that the United Planets looked up to, and now they're they're taking away the name of Superman. They're taking away the name of Kal-El, and they're saying, you know, he was granted powers by by Mother Earth, which just, you know, sounds like Whoopi Goldberg throwing out the <laughs> the ring to all the all those kids, right? Um, that was the first thing I thought of when I was rereading this. I was, oh yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, it's but it's but it also rings true to them growing up and, and seeing their old friend again and and feeling like this is why we're here this is why we're doing things we were inspired by you so it's it's a little hard to relate to i guess uh but at the same time it it's understandable because he shows up and and superman versus superboy you know and and i think earthman brings up kind of good points in it right where he mentions like no like this he was accepted for who he was going to be not who he was which technically is true but you, you see that like superman became the man he is because of these kids and now he's seeing his friends again and he's and he's basically saying and he straight up says at the end like you know magic it could be raining kryptonite red sun i don't care you're my friend i'm here for you and it's it's brilliant storytelling because we get 
that I think we can understand. Like, here's my childhood friends. Here are people that we got into scrapes together. And now we're adults with brand new responsibilities. And we're still, we're still willing to, to die for each other, you know, and it's, it's, it's really heartwarming and, and really great because great Superman stories are all about, you know, dealing with hope and dealing with, you know, uh, hope against all odds, right? You know, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but you're, you're, you're the expert, so I'll defer to you on that. <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, it's just, it comes down to good storytelling as, as you alluded to, but you know, as, as good as it is to sort of see these, uh, these restorations of, uh, of what defined Clark's childhood, especially through a modern lens. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the shadow side to this story also has a lot of value because at the end of the day, it ends up becoming a story about the kinds of pretzels that we can fold ourselves into when we're rejected. Mm -hmm. But at the same time too, it's like, you know, trauma in some form or fashion or ostracization leads to, uh, to a reversion to our baser instinct. Mm -hmm. And that's really what Kurt, what Earthman pushes forward when he subverts the symbol of Superman. And, you know, they put it on, uh, they put the S on like an armband. So, I mean, that's pretty blatant Nazi imagery right there, of course. Right. But, um, you know, the idea of the Justice League of Earth taking ownership of Superman's symbol and trying to reshape it into something that is less accepting, that's less uh, open to the inclusion of other people and other cultures and uh harsher you know more reliant on something akin to a police state uh you know it's taken to the full extreme but you know it does say a lot about you know what kinds of things people are willing to do to make their point and oftentimes we see it in our own world all the time the symbols that before may have been universally applied to feelings of of good and of justice are interpreted by a certain sect of people to mean things that are totally different mm -hmm. so the the interesting part about that side of um this story to me at least is that unlike uh you know real world examples superman actually gets to see what the consequences are yeah. of uh of, of a subversion of the symbol that he uh, wants to represent and that he does represent certainly to members of the legion and to a lot of other people in the galactic community uh, mm -hmm. by the time of the 31st century here in the dcu so um you know having that as a problem to overcome but also letting superman himself be the one to uh to combat it and to fight it and to uh, try and show people that there is a better way and that better way often includes the inclusion of more people as opposed to the exclusion of people. Right. Uh, that's something that really hits on all cylinders in terms of being a, a good solid Superman story, because if there's any through line to Superman stories, particularly in the modern DC universe, it is that he is for everyone. And he ultimately says exactly that at the end yep. of this story, which is probably my favorite moment in the entire book. 
Oh, it, it's it's beautiful. Um, and I love that it's uh, it's kind of bookended in a way where it's it's such like and something that Jeff Johns understands about Superman that I think, you know, some of the more modern writers like like Tom Taylor and Bill Kennedy Johnson are kind of getting uh, that some writers myth, I think, is I think, well, Superman can be badass when he wants to be. And and it's such a good line at the beginning when, you know, they're like, oh, there's some Legion nut dressed like Superman. And he says, well, I'll show them Superman. And, hmm. you know, and then, of course, kind of, you know, gets he gets shot in the hand and he looks and goes, what the hell just happened? And they're like, the, I'm sorry, you shouldn't be here. The, the sun is red in the 31st century. And I remember even because I read it in trade. I remember reading that and going, no, that's not right. It's not. I remember a little bit of science from when I was a child. <laughs> the sun's <laughs> not supposed to go red for another like 10,000 years or something. And right. uh, and I like that that does play a part in the story. So I was like, oh, wait, feels smart. Uh, but and then it, it bookends later when he does the same thing. He stops the the you know the laser bullet. He's like, you know, you know, I'm for everyone, and you should know that, officer. Mm -hmm. And it just it's one of those moments that <clears throat> it is just such an inspiring thing because I can hear, you know, Christopher Reeve getting because Christopher Reeve Superman very rarely got angry, right? But yeah. he would get stern. So I can hear him saying it and, you know, it helps with Gary Frank's beautiful art. And I'm just going, that's, that's my Superman, you know, just, you know, like, sure, he's going to be a little bit of a dork when he's at the Daily Planet and, you know, he's, and, you know, uh, Perry's well, like, you know, you know, all that people, stuff. <laughs> people get surprised, like people who might not be all that familiar with Superman seem to get surprised that he does get angry. Yeah. And, you know, I've never understood how people can ever possibly interpret the character in such a way that he doesn't get angry i mean he has the kinds of uh of of instincts that any person does especially when it comes to someone who's inflicting suffering on another person i mean that sure. is absolutely antithetical to everything that superman is and represents and i mean we've talked before about how he's a man of action right it's in mm -hmm. action comics that's who he is so right. the fact that you know this story prevents him from being a man of action for a, a, a sizable portion of it at least in the way that he's used to mm -hmm. um, you know it's hard to to watch in some cases but John's knows that that's like a cumulative feeling that the reading experience is going to have over time. And then when things reach a crescendo and Superman is able to be Superman again, makes for quite a satisfying moment, I think. And, uh, and it does help to reinforce everything that I certainly love about Superman, just in terms of, you know, having that legitimate moral authority and leadership, but also, having the ability to back it up, you know, just because Superman is an empathetic and compassionate person does not make him naive or stupid. And right. a lot of the, you know, the, the villains in the Superman stories often make that mistake. They just assume that, you know, he's going to be, uh, uh, somehow misinformed or underinformed, and that that's something that they can exploit. No, he's out to protect people. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't see a bad actor for who they are. Right. Uh, arguably, he, Superman can see that better than anybody. 
So I like that this story makes very clear that, um, you know, Superman's moral authority and his empathy and his compassion does not equate at all to weakness. And, um, you know, the Justice League of Earth, even though conceivably they have grown up revering Superman, at least for part of their lives, mm -hmm. uh, they learn that lesson. They, I, I think it's it's such a great uh, a counterpoint, Superman having, you know, and and I think the best <laughs> is like it's cliche as it is, and even you know weird to say in modern times, the the best type of villain to have is like a Nazi, right? It's like the reason that some of the Indiana Jones movies were so popular, right? Because it, you know you just have like well here's a group of people that were just genuinely wrong about about just everything they were doing and doing really evil things and it's a very clear distinction here to have you know uh kurt you have Earthman really be very much a uh you know a, a kind of you know he's a human supremacist but we could even say a white supremacist in a way where he's very much just no 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 like what i want what i believe is right what because you don't know pain like i know pain and it's such a interesting motivation for a villain because it's understandable it's understandable to to hate being rejected it's understandable to feel left out to feel like you were cast aside because of who you were for in some way, shape, or form. And I think a, a, a way it was described really, really well was, uh, have you watched uh, The Boys? Actually, no, I haven't. Oh, gosh. It's it's so good. Uh, I hear that. <laughs> but uh, in, in season two, uh, the Stormfront character, who's kind of revealed to be a Nazi, uh, she says at one point, you know, there there's people out there that hate you for who you are. And it's your job to stand up to them. And it's such like a, like, it, it makes sense that a Nazi would feel that way, right? That, a, uh, you know, human supremacists would feel that way, right? You know, like. Well, you Without a shred of self-reflection, by the way. Right, right, exactly. And that's, and, and it's an understandable feeling that I think children would have. At, you know, like 14 or 15, if you're rejected from like the greatest club in the universe, you're going to feel like, well, I guess I'm just a piece of shit and I don't matter. But you know what? I'll show you. And I well, love the Yes. And the trajectory that Earthman goes on, he goes yes. from hating the rejection to actively hating the people who he sees rejected him. Mm -hmm. And it festers to such a point that it becomes a generalized hatred for anything that's not human. Yes. And I think there is a degree of reality to the way that certainly uh, uh, people who are, uh, well, the, the way that racists feel, you know, they might, it could stem from a number of things, you know, maybe they feel like there was some sort of opportunity that was not granted to them because of an issue uh that you know maybe it was a part of their character or maybe it was you know a, a merit-based thing but you it, if someone is to the point where they can create such a generalization 
that they just end up hating anyone who is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, that's something that we've seen become more prevalent in our own society over the past several years. And uh, again, you know, without a shred of self-reflection, but um, you, you know, you talked about the relevance of this story and uh, you know, that's really something where I feel like the relevance of the story does become more pronounced in seeing how uh, you, you know, what the trajectory of that kind of generalized hate is and how at the end of the day, it's, it lacks such, complexity you know mm-hmm. you can only slice it so many ways you you, if, you know the more questions you ask the more simplistic the answers become uh in, until you reach an inescapable conclusion that well it's you know this is underpinned by a supremacist attitude that's informed by racism or in earthman's case you know like species is speciesism or human supremacy however you want to put it mm-hmm. um but there is a lot of uh, understandable value in a story that tries to, uh, you know, come at the issues that surround the basic instinct and the basic feeling of hate and how it's so easy to uh, for, for certain people to just fall into that and never escape from it. And Superman is someone who, He'll try to save you from it, but you also have to do some work too to try and come around and understand how how many vast amounts of shortcomings that an attitude like that can have. You know, it requires a lot of growth on the part of the person to dig themselves out of of you know feeding those kinds of uh, really malevolent feelings that ultimately serve to uh, to separate people. And that's something that I think has a lot of strength in this story too. It it, it definitely does because you see you see the flip side of it too with uh, uh, with Polar Boy. Am I, is that right? That that was yeah, yeah, no. okay. I, I was like, I know the name popped in my head. I was like, that's not right, but of course it does. <laughs> um, where you know he, he straight up says that he was rejected by the the Legion and set and brought together a few other people and said you know what, like we were rejected, but it's, we have to, but it's because we weren't strong enough. We need to be better. Let's, let's, you know, team up, do the best we can. And when they need us, we're there for them. And that shows an amazing amount of maturity that a lot of people miss, you know, like you said about self-reflection. It's why like Polar Boy is probably my favorite character in the book. You know, Mm -hmm. just somebody who, understands that I wasn't rejected because I wasn't good enough. I was rejected because I can be better. And there's kind of a difference there that I think some people don't understand. And it's, and it's really tough. And it's why, like, you know, I read stuff like this and I'm just like, I think Earthman would have been fine if he just kind of therapy, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, one probably. Of, it's one of those things. I'm such a big proponent for that. Like, you know, look, it's just, you know, Sitting down with somebody like an objective person is really uh, that's such a, an amazing experience, and and I think it's great to have both sides of the coin there. And it's it's funny because I, I keep saying this is one of my favorite you know, my favorite Superman story, but Superman is almost uh, he's he's the main character only by proxy, right? Because 
the Legion are the ones who are leading the story. He's he's there and he's kind of it's sort of like Marty McFly in a way. Like I love Zemeckis said that about Marty McFly that he technically isn't the main character of all this, all the movies. He's the MC. He kind of makes sure everything happens. Like the, the first movie is about George, the second movie is about Biff, and the third movie is about Doc. So it's like so Marty Marty does have an arc, of course, but his arc is to kind of make sure that they all fulfill their arc. And Superman is, does that in this story, right? You know, he gets to make sure that the Legion do what they all need to do um, to to save the future. And it's such mm-hmm. a and and, a, and I love that the stakes just get higher and higher. You know, we have these amazing villains, and and that's the thing that um, I think some some stories. This is my issue, like with like uh, as, as heroes went on the, the TV show Heroes. It's like you made Siler so powerful that at a certain point, I just didn't believe that he could be stopped, and and it bothered me a lot. And I was like, I I, I can't get into this. The stakes are too high. Whereas in this book, it's like the stakes need to be at like a nine, so that when the heroes get to that nine point two, it's great, and it's like yes, they they can win, they can beat this, and then get to that ten, right? Um, and and that's also good storytelling because that's hard to do when you have a character that can steal everybody's power, like Siler. And <laughs> um, but you know it 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 works because you you need to feel like he's going to win, but Superman can still beat him somehow. That that's tough to do, and I think that John pulls it off really really well in this story because we feel like. Earthman's going to win. Not only does he have, you know, Brainiac Five reveals like, oh, this this artifact he found, it there's there's some reality to it. Like this is legit, you know. It's like it's I mean, it's not real, but it's real enough that it could trick him. Um, so so you understand where he's coming from. He's not just spewing nonsense, unlike a certain, you know, indicted former president. But uh, it's. You know, we we get to feel like he's he feels validated in what he's saying, and he's gonna if he has to kill his quote unquote hero to do it, he's gonna do it. And we as the audience can go, well, how's Superman gonna get out of this? But also feeling like, and not just because well we're reading Superman's book, but because we feel like no no Superman's gonna win because. Like his righteousness will stop this nonsense and evil, this you know, uh, unadulterated hatred, you know, that's you know doesn't come out of nowhere, of course, but feels, but, but just feels so, like man, like I just wish this guy would just calm down for just like two minutes, and I think we could reason with him, you know. <laughs> Maybe a lot of rambling. I feel like. <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, I think that uh, you know, Earthman is a really compelling villain in the sense that you know, at the at the beginning of the story, he probably seems generally pretty simplistic, you know, and his motivations are ultimately pretty simplistic. But mm-hmm. over the course of the story, what you begin to understand about how he probably started out with some pretty noble and aspirational goals in in wanting to become a member of the Legion and how that is 
perverted into this this hate i mean obviously yeah he did go on to achieve but at what cost you know he basically kind of surrendered his soul to this one purpose and got pretty far in remaking society you know it's kind of disturbing to see him walk by that classroom where lies are being told about where superman comes from mm-hmm. and uh and these kids are just kind of repeating this propagandic catchphrase of you know long live humans right um, so he was able to in his own way achieve great things but to your point earlier i mean giving service to the idea of actually working on yourself so that you could reach the standards of the legion that's a lot harder to do than it is to just lash out in anger and uh and feed those negative emotions uh especially if you are so determined to just do things on your terms mm-hmm. and and not by the terms of anyone else on the one hand great you found personal agency on the other hand you've become a terrible person <laughs> and you are now working against the very thing that you aspired to work for uh so you know it's it's earthman is is he has a far more interesting arc than i think it's uh indicated in the early issues of the story and it just creates a really diametrically opposed foil to superman who yes on one hand was uh given certain degrees of physical greatness but you know that's not what makes us love superman at the end of the day i mean this story is kind of proof of that we don't really get to see him use his powers all that much through the majority of this story mm-hmm. it's how he reacts and responds when the chips are down and how uh you know how he tries to push forward the idea that every single person every single sentient being has value that needs to be nurtured it it could be the right message at the right time for certain people and um it's certainly one of the things that keeps me coming back to superman this message for that you know that has the audacity to say that every single person has value but just because every single person has value that doesn't give any individual an excuse not to try and reach their potential uh instead of just giving into their baser instincts which is exactly what earthman did and 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 not just him but uh the other members of the justice league you know right and 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 i also think it's interesting that it's and i i didn't really realize this until rereading it that it's uh that he's earthman but the rest you know is is tusker spider girl you know golden boy weather boy you know, just like the Legion is, you know, Cosmic Boy, uh, you know, Saturn Girl, Lightning Lad, you know, it. So it's interesting that he puts himself in a position of, I'm the man among children, right? And and, and very clear. And whereas, like the Legion, the exception of Superman, just being virtue of, he grew up and he just, you know, he's not going to stay Superboy when he's thirty five years old, uh, but uh, but they all retain that level of innocence um whereas the the justice league in this is a, is a perversion of that and earth man is their their leader and i like that we see the legion interact a lot you know we see their dynamic and we see 
you know, like, like, you know, uh, Colossal Boy, who's just like his only focus is to save his wife almost, you know, and Brainiac 5 just being like seeing the big picture, like, well, this is what needs to get done. And but they all know each other so well, and their history is really well done in this, I feel like. And in six issues, I feel like I I get it. I get all of their their stories versus just, you know, a like like well how did this how does this person relate to this person or what, what what's their deal, you know? Uh whereas the the Justice League is very much, you know, once they're not on a mission, they're they're going their separate ways. You know, you have, you know, radioactive boy or whatever his name is and I feel like I'm quoting the Simpsons when I say that it's not his name, but <laughs> or uh Fallout Boy. <laughs> um <laughs> but you but you know what I mean, you know. Yeah, uh, Jiminy Gilligers. Uh but anyway, uh we're uh you know, he's talking to Spider Girl and and she's and they he's trying to be like sweet with her and she's like, Oh honey, you're just you're I can't love you with that face. You're gross. Whereas you know, you have Dawnstar and Wildfire who are very much kind of trying to figure something out. And we get, and again, in that uh, Legion of Three Worlds follow-up, we get more of that, which is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you get the sense that there, there's a history with these characters. And and John does a really great job of, of showing, you know, well, this is who the Justice League is behind closed doors, and this is who the Legion is behind closed doors. And for the most part, the Legion behind closed doors is is who the Legion is, you know, to the public. Whereas the Justice League are are just, you know, uh, playing for the spotlight, right? You know, you know, I know you haven't seen it, but like the boys, like um, like Homelander is in that show. Um, mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, like Homelander is kind of a little bit like Earthman. You really need to watch that show. Uh, it's, it's much better than the comic book. If you ever the comic book, way better. I've uh, heard that consistently too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, it's it's worth your time to dig in. It, I mean, it's they're they're longer episodes. They're like hour and some change episodes, but they're they're well worth your time. Uh, but regardless, uh, <laughs> he uh, but it, you know, it it shows uh, it shows this great, you know, storytelling device that. Well, here's how this these group of characters are versus how this group of characters are, and how different they are, and it's and you understand the motivations behind it. Like I love Weatherboy when he goes in for the surgery, and he's like, "I could have stopped them if I had more power. Like, give me more power, you know." And he's like, "You know, the, they don't know what it's like to be rejected. They just don't know what it's like." And um, and they're all the most part uh, at one point either were human or are still human. Um, and they and they try to throw the image out there that the Legion of Superheroes are all aliens, which isn't true. Um, and I and I like that aspect of it that they they call them race traders, right? Uh, it, it, that also feels. Have you ever seen the movie uh, A Time to Kill uh, with Matthew McConaughey and Samuel Jackson, Sandra Bullock? Um, there, Directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, I point to movies like that, like, no, he was great. Sorry about the bat nipples, but that was great. <laughs> um, but, you know, a, a movie that shows what it's like when you have, you know, when you see the, the darkness of humanity and how they can treat each other just for liking something that's different. And it's it's such a scary thing, and you'd almost think like, well, that that can't happen in real life. 
but it does. And and again, you know, as I say in every episode, that there's that emotional reality that rings true to me reading it. And it and it hurts a lot. But I also love that there's the aspirational aspect of Superman that goes, we can be better than that. And I love that even at the end, when Superman says, you know, as we talked about before, I'm for everybody, you should know that. It, it's like everybody just kind of clicks and goes, okay, it's Superman, we're good. Like, you know, and he says, officer, take care of these people. And they're like, you got it, Superman. You know, it's just yeah. that instant, you know, like you have the literal ray of sunshine on everybody, right? Um, and, and I like that. I like that we get something to look look up to so that hopefully we're reading this and feeling like I know, hopefully we don't know people like this, but we know of this, you know, if we're just reading Twitter or hell, just watching the news, right? You know, we can yeah. hopefully find a way to be better. And, and at that point in the story, that's really what's required to try and break people out of the funk because, you know, it, throughout the the story, we learn just how deeply Earthman goes to sow disinformation, mm-hmm. you know, in a different light. He does such an effective job of... uh of changing the perceptions to such a point that it leads to, you know, the separation of earth from the United planets. Mm -hmm. It leads to propaganda being taught in, in schools to young people, this sort of legend of the, of, of mother earth bestowing uh, Superman with powers. And when he was actually born in Smallville, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and ultimately like forced deportations, you know, I mean, it's, It's kind of the the fascistic playbook, you know, and, and I know that, you know, in, in poli sci circles, it's clear to see, you know, when you say fascism, you're talking about a defined set of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is a it is an ideology. It's not a predominant ideology that a lot of people attach to anymore. Um, but and it's overused in a pejorative sense in some cases, but that is a very real set of ideas, you know, so suppression of opposition, violence as a means of uh of, of expressing uh society's potential uh they generally combine with ideas of racial purity uh forced suppression of information that is filtered through a state you know these are uh common tenets of fascistic societies that we saw in the early to mid 20th century and um you know it's it it's clear to see uh, Earthman actually, you know, undertaking these kinds of things to remake Earth in in his own image. And I mm-hmm. like what you brought up about, you know, he is Earthman compared to these other like more juvenile code names for the other members of the Justice League of Earth. Mm-hmm. And you can see in that sense, you know, that's a strongman leader or fake strongman leader in a in a desperate scramble for self-aggrandizement you know that's also a feature of fascistic societies that we saw particularly you know in germany of course but probably most visibly in italy you know that's kind of mussolini's whole playbook and um you know earthman seems a little descended from those kinds of of uh tenets that are exhibited by uh by the fascists of history so you know it's powerful imagery it helps to create a very clear opposition for um, for our characters to try and fight against. And by having that final confrontation take place in the pure light of day with, mm-hmm. you know, the the legend 
in the flesh taking on this supposed upholder of integrity for him you know what 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 does that say to people that's what was required in this story to break people out of the the funk and the programming that earthman had imposed upon them so yeah we don't have the benefit of having those kinds of uh, very clearly displayed conflicts in our society but certainly in a story about the themes that are present in this it's something that works and it's something that is continued to a degree in legion of three worlds which is another story that i also do love a lot oh yeah um you know i i honestly feel like it's a story that needs to be read uh very close to this one yes so um you know it's it's just it's good to have a, a superman story that is at home in putting forward these ideas and these themes that ultimately at the end of the day just reinforce superman is for everyone and and um and so well put as always you know you're you're the you're the most eloquent guest i think i <laughs> can have on on these shows um me. but uh i but getting into you know like you know, we're, we're talking about such heavy things here and and the, the book is fairly heavy in terms of these these themes that it's deceptively it's, heavy yeah i yeah. agree with it, it's not at all, but it's it's also not uh, preachy, which is good. It's it's still comic booky fun, you know. I mean, we're talking about yeah. Superman going into the future, and he doesn't have his powers because there's a red sun, right? Well, and to that point, I mean, Superman is at his best. The reason that you know the the best Superman writers are the best Superman writers is because they don't write him preachy. He has. Yeah an innate degree of moral authority that doesn't require him to be preachy. You know, he, Mm -hmm. in, in the best cases, he leads by example, that doesn't take him out of the running for giving uh, a well thought out speech per se, but really at the end of the day, I mean, the, the best Superman stories are the ones where he does lead by example, and maybe he punches the point home, uh with a few words but not with a text box that's as big as you know as as an entire panel that's not how superman leads by example and this is a story that understands that and 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 it also is a story that isn't afraid to have these heavy themes have this um really you know important message but is also you know, like when I say it's my my favorite story, it's because it's also a lot of fun to read. Yeah, and is. there's you know the the Legion of Substitute Heroes are freaking hysterical, and you know, and, and one of my favorite bits in the book is when they they free you know because you find out that the the Red Sun is because uh, Earthman kidnapped Sun Boy and is using him to you know make the sun red and spreading across the universe, right? Um, let's smack something against my wall here. Uh, I'm getting very emphatic here. Uh, I'm not even that Italian, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, and and when they free him, and they're like, "Oh, the sun's still red. What do we do?" And uh, and uh, her name, uh, Changeling, is that right? Her the okay, uh, Yera, uh, Colossal Boy's wife. You know, she uh, Brainiac Five is like, you know, I, you gotta kiss him. That's the only one. Like he lights up, like he lights up like a star when when there's a woman next to him. So, you know, come on. 
And and she's like, oh, okay. And then she's like about to lean in. And then like Brainiac leans back into the frame and goes, oh, he likes brunettes. Just throwing it out there. You know, it's, just, it's such a funny bit. And and even, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a funny bit, but like if, you know, Polar Boy is my favorite character, Brainiac 5 is actually probably my second favorite character because I think he has one line that always stuck with me that I thought was really fun and and in just three panels, it says everything you need to know about this character, which is when Superman, you know, they're on Kalou and they're kidnapped by Brainiac and his Brainiac robots. And they're like, well, you know, what are you doing here? You know, what, what are we doing here? You're supposed to help us. You sent for me. And and Brainiac says, well, I was, I was, I was wrong. And I just, and, and that, those three panels, I fell absolutely head over heels in love with the character. I was like, I get him, and I love it, and and that says a lot about, uh, again, just the brilliance of John's, and also the way Frank draws it, just where he's like, he really is struggling to say it, even though he's putting on this part, you know, because as soon as like the the other Kaluans and Brainiac robots leave, he's like, I just have one thing to say, what the hell took you guys so long? It like turns into like a a sitcom moment, you know, where you know, we can almost hear the canned laughter, right? And it's stuff like that that just makes the story that much more interesting because if it had just been this, you know, heavy, preachy, like racism is bad story, it it probably wouldn't have stayed with me the way it did with this really fun and um, exciting story. And and it's funny because one of my least favorite tropes, especially being a huge Smallville fan, is Clark losing his power. Because it's just like in, in, you know, you can count on, you know, on two hands because of 10 seasons, right? You know, the episodes where Clark loses his powers. And it, and it got so old, even though I like what they did with him in Crisis on Infinite Earths and blah, blah, blah. You know, I admit that that's cool. After a while, I was just like, Oh, here we go. Another episode where he loses his powers. And how's he going to get out of this one? This time, it, it just feels so organic to the story. Although I will say that, technically speaking, his powers should fade as opposed to just being gone immediately. Um, but we'll chalk that up to, to get the story going, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think the humor is kind of a critical component of uh of what makes this story work so well um because yeah the moment that you mentioned with brainiac 5 in particular i mean that's not a character that you necessarily associate with humor all that much sure. but um you know the the whole tenor of the legion is really fun you know it's it's kind of, you're you i think that the story is trying to give the impression that there's a reason why clark gravitated to these kids you know mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, in some respects, they taught him what it meant to to be a kid with superpowers. But they also, you know, they were kids when they met at the same time, too. So, right. you know, avoiding like uh, fun in these stories is kind of antithetical to the purpose of, of you know, in- including them in the first place. And Legion stories, generally speaking, at least, you know, the ones that I've read, they do have a degree of fun to them because there's only like the the ensemble is one that has characters that are so clearly defined that it's impossible to avoid uh just feeling like you're with a group of friends you know that's one of the things that yeah. to me is 
some of the most fun about reading Legion stories. Some of my favorite ones. I mean, they're, they're great, dark, serious Legion stories as well, of course, but I always love the ones that just kind of have fun with the idea of the ensemble. I mean, I think that that's outside of like, you know, top level teams like the Avengers or the justice league. It's one of the things I love about reading a book like teen Titans, you know, like the, Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons I like star Trek as much as I do when you have an ensemble ensembles are usually a great place to introduce humor especially if you have personalities within that ensemble that are kind of you know like oil and water that you don't necessarily see how well they mix together but um when you force them to you can get comic gold out of it in more ways than one yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that you know because i've been really into uh uh, with watching with my daughter, uh, Teen Titans Go and uh, DC Superhero Girl, you know she's she's Gaga for it. Um, and and I and I remember like years and years ago when Teen Titans Go came out, my first thought was like this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life, and I just I just like wrote it off. And but like watching it with her and how she's laughing and all the the silliness of it, I was like, oh okay, I get it. This is just fun, and it's still weirdly stays true to who these characters are uh just in a very you know simplistic you know fun kind of way as opposed to being world-ending stakes the way the original they were not well i guess kind of the original teen Titan show was um and same with dc superhero girls where they can have fun stories but that also kind of teach a lesson in them you know which i think we forget that fictional stories are the really the great ones are doing that anyway like you you mentioned star trek a couple times what a great example of course the original star trek was basically all about saying you know racism is bad if we give it up we'll be the greatest society in the universe you know Um, but also with an ensemble at the core of it you know that you know there there was there's so much humor to be mined particularly from the dynamic between spock and dr mccoy you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean that's some of the most memorable moments in i would argue in television history but certainly (laughs) in star trek uh you know seeing the dynamic that they that, that those two characters had but then when you throw captain kirk into it to sort of serve as an anchor in the middle of it it's just a very well balanced trio you know it's kirk who has to take from the hardcore emotion of dr mccoy cold logic from spock and take both to make an ultimate command decision and um there's a lot of ensembles that are descended from that and i think you sort of get that in in some respects with the legion brainiac 5 certainly gives off spock vibes in more than one place sure so uh you know it's an it's an ensemble that works and it's um when it's when it's well written especially you know you you get it immediately and the, the Smallville episode, uh, you know, I was mentioning earlier from season eight. Uh, so, yeah, the actors in it, um, Ryan Kennedy as uh, Cosmic Boy, uh, Alex Johns, shouldn't be, I don't know, I should say Alex, uh, as uh, Saturn Girl, and then Caleb Worthy as, uh, as Lightning Lad. They portrayed those characters so well. And I love, you know, and I was rewatching it actually right before we recorded uh, just because so, I was kind of excited. And I remember just being, and I was just like transported back to the first time I saw the episode. And even now just going, man, these actors who were probably just, you know, Canadian actors who needed a job weren't necessarily comic book fans. I don't know for sure. You know, I don't know much about them personally, 
But, you know, like, goddamn, if they didn't portray those characters, like, perfectly, and again, it, but it, it doesn't necessarily come from being comic book fans, it comes from a well-written script where they were under, able to understand, like, okay, so, you know, Rock is the leader, Cosmic Boy's the leader, he's going to be kind of a little bit more stoic and uh, less, you know, serious. Imra, the Saturn girl, is very empathetic and is really there to help kind of diffuse situations if they get too uh, too rough. And then there's uh, Lightning Lad, who's just, you know, kind of, you know, they all fit their powers, right? He's just a ball of energy. And it's just, it's so, you know, and he has such great lines in it where he's like, hey, Cal, where's your cape? You know, <laughs> and just fun stuff like that, that, again, shows that these are when they're really well written. We can, even if we can't see themselves or see ourselves in these characters, we understand who they are. And and it bums me out that we only got this one episode. I mean, uh, Rock comes back at the end of season eight, but it bums yeah. me out that we only got the one. And uh, I feel like if Smallville, it wouldn't be, but if it were to be rebooted in some way, shape, or form, they would show up in season one as opposed to season eight. I mean, they should. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's one of the things that I remember when that episode came out. And uh, I, I spoke about this a little bit on the Always Hold On to Smallville episode that was about Legion that, that Zach had me on for, which I'm grateful for. But when the episode came out, uh, you know, it wasn't too long after this story was published. Mm -hmm. So Johns had sort of reestablished the Legion as an important kind of linchpin for the DC universe. Right. And it's hard to think of the Legion and disconnect them from the DC universe. They are so intertwined in the DC identity. You know, it's a thousand years in the future, a group of superheroes who are sort of descended from the same kind of uh, uh, mission as Superman. And they're bringing that into Smallville, into, you know, a CW show that yeah. casts underwear models for every part and all that <laughs> stuff. And um, the thing that I remember being so thankful for that episode in in what it did was that it brought smallville closer to the established dc mythology you know throughout that episode lightning lad really was a proxy for people like me comic book nerds who sort of dissatisfied with the way that the show's later seasons used the superman mythology or didn't use the superman mythology and mm -hmm. it brought things closer you know johns did not step on the toes of any previous episodes uh, if anything, he just brought the, the whole mythology a little closer to the DCU, uh, yep. which is something that I had been waiting to see in that show for a long time. He would take a further step the next year in his in the uh, Justice Society two-parter oh, yeah. uh, step in that respect. And, um, you know, by having the Legion there and granted, you know, that episode, maybe they learn a lesson that they shouldn't have to learn you know maybe we shouldn't kill people <laughs> sure sure yeah sure but um the idea of you know getting clark a little bit closer to uh who we know he's supposed to be certainly a very welcome dynamic to bring to the show and i feel like this story played no small part in ultimately getting that episode made you know, it certainly put Johns in the mindset of writing the Legion, 
Yep. But also, I mean, that's a story. It, it's a story that did reasonably well in you know monthly comic book terms, and I I sold more than a handful of copies of the collected edition when it ultimately came out. Mm-hmm. It did seem like a really good way to bring people aboard, not just with reading Superman comics, but in creating a whole new generation of Legion fans. You know, there's probably a fair amount of people who call themselves diehard Legion fans today who can trace their lineage back to this story. And it's because it brought the Legion back to a place of prominence in the DC comics universe in a really clever way that allowed them to take center stage in the longest running title that exists in superhero comics. You know, what, what more could you ask, especially as a Legion fan, you know, well, longtime Legion fans, I know sort of chafe at this story in some respects, but <clears throat> I don't think you can argue with, uh, uh, the reality of bringing the Legion back to a place of prominence that had certainly been lost. And that's not to take away from some of the stories that had come out, you know, Mark Wade's three boot Legion that he did with Barry Kitson is a solid series. You know, I don't think that anybody could take that away, True. but making the Legion more important by sort of tying them more closely to Superman was a good choice. And on top of the, the mechanics of the DC universe it told a really good story that was worthy of being told uh, on the canvas of action comics. So yeah, this is a great one. You, you know what I, you know what it makes me think of the way you're describing it is uh, people who become Star Trek fans through JJ Abrams. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, so I would count myself among them because I've sure. told you before, uh, you know, on, on the show and, and even privately that the, the, the JJ Abrams, that's what got me into Star Trek because I just was like, this looks so cool. And then I wanted to reach out to uh, or look up the, the original series and ended up really enjoying it. Um, and uh, and I love that. I was one of my uh, one of my daughter's first fandom, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if I ever told you that, but uh, I, I probably did. But, you know, she uh, she used to watch uh, Star Trek, the original series with her mom before like uh, before like nap time or bedtime or whatever. So that was a little tradition they used to have. Um, That's awesome. And but yeah, but it was uh, also funny being one and a half, two years old, where she called the main character Cock and Spurk. So there's <laughs> that too. <laughs> so that that will stay with me forever too. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, I mean I think that it's a it's an analogy that works. Um, you see that with you know these longer standing franchises that do manage to bring people into the fold is usually the newer component like there's not often like a resurgence of old material that brings new people into the fold except maybe when star trek started running in syndication in the 70s which got it super popular after it was canceled but Mm -hmm. um you know the like when it comes to the legion you know having them front and center in action comics and certainly with the canvas that is provided by gary frank and the other uh artistic collaborators in addition to who was at the at the time the hottest writer in comics and Jeff Johns. I mean, you couldn't really have asked for more. If you were like a Legion advocate, it's hard to, you know, to argue against the idea of getting uh, the Legion to have a top level A-list treatment. You know, Gary Frank was not an unknown element in terms of comics. He had had right. a long and storied career, certainly at Marvel by that time. And mm-hmm. and then he his career was reborn, really, when he started doing Superman and, and all of the things that 
that that led to, particularly in his collaborations with Johns. This story did a lot of favors for a lot of people, both real and fictional. A hundred percent. And and for me, it it just you know, like I said, it's my favorite Superman story. It's cemented for me. Uh, it, like I said, it's it's almost having Superman almost not be the main character, but because he's so important to the Legion and in a weird way to Earthman and the Justice League, it makes his standing that much more impactful. It it yeah. just and it, truth be told, I, I was always hoping this would get adapted in some way, shape, or form. I was hoping this would be a some version of a Henry Cavill story. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like a lost story that he had from his childhood he forgot or something. And, you know, obviously that's not where we're going. But, um, you know, like, wouldn't that be interesting? But at the same time, it's uh, I, I still always have this book. And and even the, the precursor to this, the, the, the Metzler, um, John's, JSA, JLA, oh, the yeah, yeah, uh, that I actually kind of forgot about until I was rereading this. I was like, oh, that's right, that that happened first. But I love that John's kind of alludes to it, but doesn't, you know, and, and him being a great writer too is that every, you know, every comic is somebody's first comic. So I felt like every issue I was reading, as annoying as to me as it is reading the trade, you know, it's like, you know, we only have, you know, four hours until, you know, the other planets attack Earth. It's like, you just said that two pages ago, but to the monthly reader, that was a month ago, and this might be somebody's first comic going, that cover looks cool, let me check this out. So, I get all that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it worked for me being, you know, making me a Legion fan and, and cementing my love for Superman and going, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I love. And it, it barely has the original Superman supporting cast, but it cements like I was saying before, the the idea that it, it's great to have these Clark Kent stories, it's great to have these Superman stories, but it's also great to have these um, to have these Cal-El stories that you know are yeah. few and far between, and that don't really have to deal with you know Clark, you know Kal-El going back to Krypton. Or what if Kal-El was still on Krypton? You know, as much as I love the um, for the man who has everything or whatever, it it's nice that. To, to feel to have a different flavor of that that still feels very true to Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I just I, I think it says a lot about uh, certainly the longevity of the story that um, you know not only that we're we're still talking about it today, but the fact that it can be a pretty hard hitting Superman story without the typical trappings of Superman stories. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that says a lot about how strong it is on its own merits, but at the same time, I think that the creative team certainly wanted to showcase uh, why people who aren't Legion fans should be. Yep. And I think it did convince a lot of people by, you know, certainly I don't think that you could ever, you could say with a straight face that this story sidelined Superman, but nope. it certainly, you know, brought, the legion to a lot of uh, a lot of people's attention in a way that maybe they hadn't been in a while and um you know the story's better for it that's a that's a dynamic that serves this story very well and it certainly serves the themes of the story very well too absolutely um all right so a couple of questions for you as we wrap up um sure. and these tend to be stumpers 
So I apologize ahead of time. Okay. Uh, so uh, throughout all of Superman media, uh, whether it's comics, you know, movies, whatever, do you have a favorite S? A favorite what? S. Oh, the... favorite S, like is the design of the S shield? Yes. Um, that is kind of a stumper just because <laughs> I have, I have an affinity for the general design. Um, but if I had to pick one that was probably my favorite, I actually like the stylization of the large S, um, but I feel like the way that it looks on Alex Ross is maybe a little too clean. Mm-hmm. So honestly, it might be birthright. Like okay. if I had to pick one, it might be birthright. I have a very soft spot for the Christopher Reeve S. Sure. Um, a very soft spot even for the George Reeve slash Kirk Allen design, mm-hmm. uh, just because it's such like a, a solid retro look. But like if I had to pick one in all of the characters representations, I might go with Lionel Francis Yu in birthright. That's a great choice. Uh, it's it's funny because you were saying the same thing that Justin Kowalski said that he doesn't oh, like really? the, the, the big, big, big at uh, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. That's a, I mean, and, and burn brought that back into Vogue. So he gives, right. he gives a lot of credit for that. And Justin and I talked about that relatively recently on an episode of the comic binge where we highlighted man of steel. That's he mentioned that too. So that's yeah. funny. Um, well, but uh, and and uh, the second question I'll ask you uh, to wrap things up here. So we have James Gunn's movie coming out in a couple of years, um, and I, I I'm very excited because we have somebody who is a huge comic book fan, who you know from what he's sharing on social media, at the very least, you know we can be cautiously optimistic that he knows what he's talking about. What are you hoping to see? Are there villains that you are hoping to see that we haven't seen or stories or themes? What 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 are you excited about that you hope Gunn brings to the table or maybe a future sequel or whatever brings to the table? I'm mostly I don't have any like particular checklist of characters that I'd like to see or or specific villains that I'd like to see. I mean I've always actually been reasonably partial to see. I think a lot of people have been pretty partial to wanting to see Brainiac used in some way. I feel like that's where it's going to go just because of uh, what we know about the story that's being told. Like if they went with the animated series conception of Brainiac that was sort of incorporated into the comics later on where he might've been a Kryptonian AI Mm -hmm. uh, and he has access to a repository of Kryptonian information. I mean, that's something you and I have talked in the past about how, you know, I felt like that's something that was missing from the most recent cinematic incarnation of Superman. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's on greater display on television now. Like that's a Superman and Lois is a very solid show and we're getting uh, a quote unquote more classic uh, conception of Superman without feeling dated. Um, Yeah. But in terms of this movie and what uh, what the story is going to be playing with already, um, I kind of want to see themes that are similar to the ones that are explored in Superman and the Legion of Superheroes, just in the sense that, you know, Superman is a guy at his strongest when he embraces and believes in the people around him. You know, he doesn't need to have 
people um, I mean, it's always good to relate to people when you're young in particular, as we see in this story, but mm-hmm. he is someone who is at his best when he has, when he develops and demonstrates, uh, you know, the, the, the power of community and the power of, um, of, of believing in each other to try and accomplish greatness, you know, um, Superman is, you know, the most potent symbol of aspirational heroism that exists in superhero storytelling at large. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of really good modern storytellers have amped that forward uh, and applied that through through modern lenses. I just want to see something that makes me feel inspired and um, and something that i think is something else that you and i have talked about on on uh on the spider-man book club show when you asked me a question similar to this uh something that we can all celebrate you know mm-hmm. let's not get tribalist let's not try and um you know compare negatively just for comparison's sake let's have a superman story that we can all get behind very tall order probably (laughs) not something that is going to happen in modern fandom but if it gets a little closer i think james gunn is probably capable of creating a story like that with superman he's certainly demonstrated that he has an affinity for the character um but you know at the end of the day that's window dressing we're we're not going to see what his actual vision entails for a very long time Mm -hmm. but in the meantime I just hope for something that that is inspiring and something that uh, that we can all get behind as a solid time at the movies with the single most potent superhero at creation on planet Earth. Very well said, my friend. Uh, and I I'm 100 percent with you there that, uh, you know, and, and I love that you point to this story as being a uh, a, a good you know, uh, North star for where Superman. Hey, should if, go. if, if there's a flashback in Superman legacy that includes those three core Legion members, I wouldn't cry at all. I, I wouldn't shed any tears. I, I personally think it would be so great to have a, uh, Superman Legion of superheroes movie and then have an HBO max Legion of superheroes series. You know I mean? If, fucking peacemaker of all characters can get one <laughs> you know i mean like the penguin's one thing because you know he you know he's long overdue for a uh you know a, a really awesome take you know as of this recording it was you know revealed that he had a we had a teaser trailer for his show which i think is cool Good um, and it looks amazing so it's like well let's go on the other side of that and have you know legion of superheroes that would be amazing um and you know, you have all these shows that on cable budget we're doing pretty decent looking futuristic stuff like Battlestar Galactica and stuff. Like you can, yeah, yeah you can conceivably make it work. Oh um, yeah, they could easy, they they could make it if there was a will. I mean, you look at the the quality of the productions of like the current Star Trek shows, for instance. Those yes. are gorgeous. They're beautiful. Oh, yeah. There's no reason why, with the proper investment, that they couldn't make. A legion of superheroes live action series if they wanted to but at the end of the day you know as it relates to superman legacy 
giving some service to their importance in shaping who he is wouldn't go amiss wouldn't go for for sure yeah i you know i'm i'm gonna bang the drum till the day i die to make this into a a film (laughs) in some way shape or form sure excuse me um chris this has as always been such a blast uh we you know getting to talk to uh someone who I, I I love talking to about comic books, about my favorite Superman story. You know, thank you so much. I was so excited for this conversation and it did not. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to connect about the world's greatest hero. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if people are traveling through the time stream, going to the 31st century looking for you, where can they find you out there? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Clow, C-H-R-I-S-C-L-O-W. Uh, if you are a Star Trek fan, check out Discovery Debrief. It's a Star Trek podcast that I host. We are doing weekly episode recaps of the third season of Star Trek Picard. As of the this recording right now, uh, the eighth episode of Picard has aired. But by the time you're actually listening to this episode, that whole season should have been out for a long time by now. Uh, highly recommended. But if you need more Star Trek in your life, check out Discovery Debrief. And certainly check out the comic binge, um, the comic book YouTube stream that I co-host with my friend Paul Herman. A wide variety of things that we're uh, gearing up to talk about, including the second part of a read-through of 52, the weekly series partially written by Jeff Johns, along with Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, and Greg Rucka. And Keith Giffen also deserves to be in there, too. But, um, you know, we talk about a whole bunch of different kinds of comic book stories, so certainly check out the comic binge. And that's uh binge comic on twitter and discovery debrief is dsc debrief on twitter uh definitely check this guy out is his uh, passion knows no bounds and uh <laughs> and then you have paul herman whose passion is on coke so, <laughs> so <laughs> well you'll uh, have to talk to me again in a couple of weeks because we're taking uh our daughter to disneyland next week oh, and gosh. um i don't know how it's gonna go we'll see <laughs> i that's a that's something i really want to save up for my daughter is you know gigantic frozen and tangled fan and oh sure yeah we got you know little mermaid coming out at least as of this recording and i'm i'm so excited to take her to it um it's, so that's gonna be a lot of fun um mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to you know having her be the uh the, the nerd that i want her to be same with her mother you know her mother's making sure she's got all the star trek i'm making sure she's got all the all the dc comics <laughs> very solid sounds yeah. good oh yeah um as for me you can find me at four comic junkies uh at twitter uh you can also check out the spider-man book club that chris mentioned earlier uh twitter handle for that is at spider-man books uh you can get that wherever you get your podcast uh if you're listening to this on apple podcast please write a review subscribe get those buds in ears and uh for all you out there uh we just want to leave you with one simple thing which is what superman would say to you which is that he's for everyone and we should all be for everyone. Look after each other because at the end of the day, we're all we have and other sappy shit like that. All right. Have a great night, folks. Or day. Whatever you listen to this. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to look after you. I don't know what you're doing. You know, if it's the middle of the night, you should be in bed. I don't know. All right. I'm done. I'm done. We're done. We're done with this.